My name is Jonathan Blackwood. Welcome to My Tech Decisions Podcast. Today's guest is Etienne Renicky, Group CTO at Dimension Data. Etienne joins us to discuss his company's Tech Trends 2019 report, which was released at the end of November. The report is a study into the technologies that are primed to define the technology landscape during the following year. And with 2019 right around the corner, we thought who better to have on than Etienne to give us more context around some of the top trends coming out of the report. Etienne discusses robot process automation and customer service, cloud-based cybersecurity, programmable infrastructure, customized applications, the value of data, and more. Enjoy the interview. Before we get to the interview, a quick reminder that My Tech Decisions podcast is now available on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Make sure to subscribe in order to instantly download the latest interviews with expert AV integrators, IT providers, security installers, technology manufacturers, and commercial technology decision makers like yourself. If you like what you hear, you can leave a comment and rate the podcast as well. Search for My Tech Decisions podcast on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Download and subscribe. Now let's get to the interview. Welcome to My Tech Decisions podcast. Today we are lucky enough to be speaking with Etienne Renica, Group CTO at Dimensions Data. Etienne, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, Jonathan, good morning. Good morning to everybody. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming. Uh, Dimension Data has recently launched its Tech Trends 2019 report, and uh, Etienne is going to discuss some of the findings and how the tech sector will evolve uh, next year and beyond coming out of this report. So we're really excited to get into it. Uh, we're going to touch on uh, some uh, a few different topics, uh, and, and it'll seem like we're bouncing around, but really the topics that the Tech Trends 2019 report has found are, are going to be what are shaping the technology uh, landscape moving forward. So it'll all come together. Uh, but first to start, customer experience. And that's something that um, a lot of companies are focusing on, especially with technology, how to improve customer experiences, because ultimately that's going to improve your bottom line. So uh, we've seen that robotics and automation have been introduced into it. But how exactly will moving into 2019 and beyond, how exactly will customer experience be reshaped by robotic process automation? Yeah, Jonathan, I think just before I start, I'll give you a direct answer there. I think when you look at trends, we've been releasing these sort of trend reports annually for the last couple of years. Yeah, I always preempt any one of these discussions by saying these are just trends that we see. They evolve, and I always like to look at, to reflect on when we look at trends, you know, and then look back and say, well, what happened last year to the things we actually spoke about? And so I'll do the same this time and say, well, as I look at this thing going forward, maybe it's, you know, these just to keep in mind that you know it doesn't mean all these things necessarily happen, but these are certainly the signs we're seeing in the market. So coming back to your direct question here around customer experience, um, I think what we are seeing already, we've seen a lot of robotic process automation and bots come into plant uh, plant experience or plant service, um, but we're now seeing you know that next level happening. Um, and I said, let me talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, I think we're starting to see a very direct connection between 
the RPA uh, activity and say um, AI or artificial intelligence. And one of the simple things, one of the simple examples is to think about omnichannel uh, in that sort of uh, context in a world. If you look at omnichannel there, we're starting to see a lot more automation, obviously through you know, simple process automation and, and using RPA. But we're also seeing that linkage to AI where you know, now you start looking at uh, using, bring all these technologies that we've been working on a little bit in isolation over the last couple of years, things like your natural speech recognition, text-to-speech, speech text come, come together and actually improve with the processing of AI what we can do in, in our client service environment. So let me give you a classic example. You know, in real time now, we can scan these channels as we're in an engagement with a client or a client session or a customer service session. Uh, we can start looking for words that might depict the emotive state of that conversation. So, you know, pitch, uh, even pitch of a voice uh, or just the words that are being used. And based on that and, and the combination of all sort of, say, the automation, the AI, uh, all these other sort of technology I mentioned, you suddenly can then decide, well, this is this this client interaction is becoming uh, emotionally to a point where you now have to inject maybe a live person, a live agent or a supervisor and suddenly you can shape uh, you can shape the the, the, the the service the service session based on a lot more metrics than we had in the past. So that's what we're starting to see happening. Uh, I think that has the, the the ability or the potential to really bring uh, a different angle to to, client, to the client experience and, and to Cloud service. Um, it will also probably reset some of the, the cost models in your traditional omnichannel type environments. You know, one of the things that it's one thing to have all this at hand and the possibilities, it's a very no, it's another one to start saying, well, how do we do we actually implement it? And I would certainly challenge the organizations to to drive that implementation. And and one could argue that with this this type of technology embedded, you can provide a much higher um, you know level of service at a lower cost so you you can actually implement these things uh, but i'll pause there uh going off of that i know that uh, i'm glad you brought up the uh you know things like call centers and and uh, customer service centers because i think that's where people are seeing uh, uh robotics automation and artificial intelligence introduced into um organizations that that seems to be where a lot of organizations are starting can organizations take this a step beyond and have robotic automation for uh, things like sales calls. Like, for example, it might be an organization that uh, depends upon people calling in in order to order product. Is that something where artificial intelligence can be implemented? Or is that something where, as far as sales goes and cold calling, things like that, you really want to keep a live uh, kind of attendant? Yeah, you know, I think when you look at outbound, I think typically people want to keep humans involved. Um, I think, look, the, the, the answer is it possible? Absolutely. Uh, it's funny, it's interesting. In the last uh, couple of, I think, couple of days, uh, there was an interesting uh, launch in China of a um, a, a virtual newsreader, you know, uh, and actually where people could actually uh, text in questions, news questions, and it would respond. And so it's very, this interactive model is, is becoming very real. But I think when you look at the outbound, I mean, yeah, I think, just go back to, I think every when I look at technology, I look at my behavior, I look at, you know, the behavior of my family members, and I can tell you if I get a, a, a robotic call to sell me something, it's going to it's gonna go down to, to be cut off very quickly. So I think you do want to keep humans involved with, with in some, some of these interactions. 
No, I think that makes sense. And actually, California just passed a law recently outlawing uh, robotics doing cold calling uh, directly to consumers. So I think that that's something that even the general public is, as you mentioned, going to be a bit wary of. But let's move on for now. Um, Cybersecurity is something that obviously every organization has top of mind, especially in the last several years where we've seen some major organizations suffer from cyber breaches. Um, why will organizations focus on cloud-based security, cybersecurity platforms moving into 2019 and beyond? What's the benefit there? Yes, yeah, so I think you know, to answer that, you've got to just quickly reflect on the on the cybersecurity sort of segment as a whole. You know, I think it's been very fragmented. Uh, it's come in from protecting the edge and try to move in, and it hasn't really been successful. And if you look at where the attacks come from these days, whether it be internal from organizations or external, it is very hard to protect in a fragmented sort of way. So I think you know what we have to do is re-engineer. I think the, the industry is looking at how do you literally re-engineer cybersecurity as we know it. And I think with the power of the processing, the processing power we now can have, we now have in cloud-based environments, uh, I think with you know things like the internet of everything and the sensors we can embed, there's a much stronger ability for us to be more predictive. Uh, when we start looking at massive data analytics in real time, uh, and we can actually start depicting or assessing in real time where these threats are coming, maybe more in a predictive fashion, shut them down, isolate them where they start so you don't spread. Uh, and then one other thing that I feel very strongly about, you know, look at the adoption of tech new technologies such as blockchain. Um, I like blockchain. I think blockchain has a massive opportunity or potential to re-engineer cybersecurity. You know, if you look at, you know, for me, and again, I don't even want to go into the detail. This is a whole day-long discussion on blockchain. But if you look at, you know, capital markets, um, a lot of the, the forex trading markets have all been dominated now by blockchain platforms, trading platforms, and you see these sort of incubations, uh, incubation uh, accelerators emerging through uh, in these blockchain ecosystems. But if you look at, if you ask me, what is the killer app for for blockchain in the near future? I think it's identity management. Um, and if you look at the big the big uh, breaches that has happened over the last you know couple of years, it's all around identity, uh, going after the identity of people, the attributes of those identities, whether it be social security numbers and, and you know, credit card details. So we can find a better way to actually protect inherently uh, the identity. I think we can really start you know making a, a difference. And I think uh, the identity management on a blockchain platform literally can do that. It is a distributed ledger type technology, so. Yeah, where do, what do you attack if it's not centralized? That already has a, has a massive impact. And then just the strength of, of the, 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 um, the, the encryption and, and, and the technology itself is, is, you know, is, is very, very exciting. So I think there are these things emerging uh, that I think will really change the, the way that we think about security or cybersecurity as a whole. Um, and I do think that the fragmented nature of the existing industry uh, will actually accelerate that sort of, you know, that metamorphosis we're looking for. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that because we, we've covered blockchain a fair amount, and it's it's an absolutely fascinating technology that already is getting some adoption. I know that so- Sony and uh, Walmart both just recently uh, introduced blockchain into some of their processes, although I don't think it was cybersecurity. Um, but moving on, I, I noticed in the report one of the major trends was how infrastructure will become programmable from end to end. Could you, you, could you explain what that means? Yeah, so, so this is where we really take a step back and look at the, 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 the automation gambit in a very different light. You know, I think we've seen what we, when we look at the, 
the infrastructure today, we actually categorize it in sort of three, three very rough categories and saying, if you look at programmable platforms, so if you think about, you know, the cloud platforms, they, they were born to be totally automated through APIs. Um, then you look at programmable infrastructure. So if you think about, you know, some of the software infrastructure these days, <clears throat> you think about SD-WAN, these things really starting to develop. Even some of the infrastructure that we starting to see coming out now uh, is actually a lot more programmable. And then, of course, we have, unfortunately, we have a lot of sort of you know, non-programmable historic infrastructure that I think in many ways is starting to get phased out through their normal depreciation cycles. So very quickly, we are, we are getting to a world where we're going to see, you know, the infrastructure, the underlying systems to be much more programmable. Um, I think that then changes, you know, how we actually deal with infrastructure. Um, uh, you know, in our minds, you know, I can tell you, we as a company would not even consider uh, partners that do not offer us a full programmable API first sort of you know type technology. Um, I think that the cost the cost metrics there is 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 just the operational cost metrics are just uh, too compelling for this not to happen. Um, and I just think that if you start then thinking how you link that to applications or the behavior, or you start thinking about and this is where we're starting to really take a big step forward and say how do humans interact with technology? If we think about you know, it's one thing to think about the technology interaction in the workspace, but how do we change, you know, how we live and work and these things we've been always been talking about? And I think if you get technology to be this programmable and you actually start developing what we call the human API to technology, then you really start making the experience very, very seamless and, and, and then it does become life-changing. Um, let me give you a very simple example. In the, recent, in the recent months, some of the smartwatch vendors have actually really, um, yeah, released um, you know, functionality such as like a simple thing like um, I think some of the new Apple watches and, and some of the other smartwatches now can can detect whether there's um, can detect G-force G-force um, you know in the watch itself. So one would say, well, why is that important? Well, it is important then when you say it's it's put these type of technologies use it in in, in age age care. Uh, you can actually assess when people have a fall and you can automatically start triggering uh, interactions you know, or, or responses. And that's when programmability will be critical, where you really can start saying, well, what is this, 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 this automatic interaction between humans and the world? And, and then just literally, how do we be, be more preventative, whether that be in just our daily lives, uh, in triggering things, in healthcare, in aged care, and, and how we interact. And, you know, if you take that as straightforward, maybe that's beyond uh, beyond our careers, maybe not beyond our lifetimes, but certainly when you start thinking about, you know, triggering uh, technology change or technology assistance through thoughts in future. And these things are, are starting to come in, in, into focus. So I really think that the programmability um, is, is becoming, you know, absolutely fundamental. And yes, it is as elementary as just driving operational cost out. But once you get there, you can sort of see where this can go. And it sort of links into one of the other topics that we that we talk about is, you know, when this happens, you know, the, the applications themselves then actually move to a different quantum of intelligence. I'll pause there. Maybe that's, that's really a, a mouthful. No, I, I actually, I'm glad that you brought up that last point because that was going to be my next question. And I think the programmability really feeds into that and, and that is applications becoming more intelligent becoming more cost customized uh how will that i mean we've already kind of seen that over the last couple of years but how will that continue into 2019 and beyond 
Yeah, this is get really interesting. When you start, you know, today we think about you know, a lot of we, we've been talking about IoT for many years. I think if you start looking at you know the the where this is now in, uh, evolved to in terms of just sensors and how we can you know how we can actually embed so much intelligence in such a widely distorted uh, environments that is where we can do get the control signals that actually allow us you know now you bring the combination of ai uh, the the mass the the huge amounts of data points that we now have and we can really make some some very accurate granular decisions and then you the applications have to be more intelligent to to take the reactions or react to these these stimulus stimuli. So, yeah, I think this is happening. I think if you start getting into, you know, I, I've just funny enough, uh, you, you bring it all together. In the last couple of years, we've seen the emergence of 4K, 4K video, uh, which is just hitting the main street. And if you think about what you can do with 4K from a, uh, you know, you see, I sort of look at that as a bit of an infrastructure play. But you know, the 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 image quality of 4K is amazing, and it allows you to do. Um, huge amounts of medical diagnosis on the quality of that image. I mean, if you think about just a medical diagnosis on skin tone, the size of the pupil of the eye, and you bring the 4K into applications into, say, aged care, and you think about you know, just that remote aged or remote health care and the applications that actually then support that. I mean, it is, it is really becoming um, very, very, not just viable, but you're starting to see these pockets emerging. And I think that is going to go mainstream in a much, much larger way uh, in, in the next, when I say next, uh, near future, it's, it's 20, 2020 and beyond very, very quickly. Well, the, the last thing that I want to talk about kind of wraps all of these things up, and that is data, which has become a commodity for many organizations. Data feeds into artificial intelligence. It feeds into automation. Uh, it, it, it feeds into the network. It feeds into Internet of Things, most of all. Um, how will data become the center of the value universe moving forward, if it hasn't uh, already? Well, I mean, I think it's fast getting there. I think, yeah, I look at this and I talk to our young young technologists and, and, and engineers coming in to our organization. And, and, you know, I look at this and say, well, there's so much happening in our industry that will, that's driving it to utility. I mean, IT is driving towards a utility uh, very, very rapidly. But I think if there's one thing that will remain as the center of the universe in terms of business values, going to be the data. Um, now, let me just, I mean, this is a, I'm passionate about this topic, so you have to stop me if I go around, start rambling. But no, in very, very simple terms, if you take a step back and say, well, what is, you know, we talk about a digital transformation, or what is a digital transformation? In my mind, a digital transformation is when the value of your data drives a new revenue stream that exceeds the revenue streams from your traditional business model. Now that is a that is a that is aggressive statement, but we're starting to see that happening in in, in some industries. You, know, you take a, a very simple example, like a transport company, bus company. Take it very simple, and you know there's many names bus companies in the U.S. that you can think of. Um, but this is one out of out of South, Southeast Asia. Um, but a bus company that has passengers that actually you know people come in, uh, they take a bus to work, a train to work. They you know they they have a ticket, they have identity, etc. The, the transport company suddenly has the ability to say, well, I have your know, millions of clients, millions of, of, of passengers every morning. I know where they get on. I know where they get off. 
you know, I know uh, I can link that, I can enrich that data with the weather. And, and suddenly you, you look at a data set that you can start saying, wait a minute, with this data set, I could drive a revenue stream with, you know, I don't know, with beverage companies, with fashion companies, with retail companies that actually will start, people will pay for my data to actually bring the marketing connection to the consumer that's actually using my, my, my traditional core service of transport. And suddenly that's the data that becomes the valuable, the valuable asset and, and not the traditional business model. We are starting to see that in quite a few industries <clears throat> that we've been involved with. The Tour de France, as you know, it's public knowledge, uh, where we've actually now three, four years into that project, we actually now have a data set <clears throat> that is amazing, that uh, that will uh, that allows the ASO to do interesting things in the future, should they wish to. You know, in terms of not just the fan experience, but in terms of saying, well, how do I take you know this and, and, and use that in a health application? Um, in a you know something like a Strava or a, or one of these, these these health applications or maybe in adjacencies in terms of you know, just health management or risk management on you know um, health insurance. This is what's starting to happen. I mean, so so there's a huge amount of activity around the data. I think the value uh, of data will will be realised very quickly. I also think there's um, in additional technologies that are that are developed that will really un unlock even more quantum value of data. So let me touch on that for a second. You know, one of the biggest challenges today, obviously, with data is the sensitivity around it, the, not just around regulatory things like in Europe, your GDPR, uh, you've got different verticals. If you think about HIPAA and you, you go through indices, there's a lot of regulatory boundaries around what you can do with data. Um, now, if you want to really turn on the power of data, we have to bring bigger and bigger data sets together because then it becomes more granular and of course then your decisions and your outcomes are just more accurate. We are starting to see a lot of development around anonymized analytics. So we we literally can say we can do distributed analytics across distributed data sets without actually revealing source data. Um, in our own company, in our, in our mother company, Entity, uh, the Entity R&D folk have actually come up with some very, very interesting technology to allow us to do that. We've got some early uh, projects happening in, in, in some industries like um, like research in the, in the um, educational sector around universities to help universities share data sets uh, for research. And suddenly you can just think about the granularity of that data and the power that brings and the, 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 the outcomes that we can drive. So we are seeing it in our own call it um, own implementations. We start to see it across industries. And when we look at, you know, if you look at business, it doesn't matter what vertical you're in, we're starting to look at this and say, well, wait a minute, data will be your, your probably your primary revenue source of the future if you if you play it right. Uh, I'll pause there, Jonathan, because I think this could be a, this could be again another couple of hour topic. But it is just fascinating. I think it's exciting, uh, and I think this is where you know um, we, we encourage our clients and the enterprise, particularly, to spend a lot of time and and, and, and get their get their heads around where they should focus or where they should start with some of the investments they need to make around the value or the value the value management of their data. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that data is, I mean, just the alone, just the information that it can give you to make decisions for your own business is so valuable for companies. And then adding on to that, that then the data has its own intrinsic value outside of that, that can actually generate uh, revenue for the company. I mean, it's it's really incredible. And, I, and you see so many companies trying to gather more data and it makes 
a lot of sense. But you're right. It, it, we could talk about this for hours. So uh, we'll cut it there. And I'll, I'll just ask instead, if our audience wants to learn more about uh, the Tech Trends 2019 report or learn more about Dimension Data, how can they find you guys? How can they learn more? Yeah, John, very, very easy. Um, just go straight to our, our, our website, dimensiondata.com. Uh, you'll pick up the links to the trends there. You'll pick up all the information on the company. Uh, I might just do one quick plug for, for the trends. I mean, what we just spoke about is the sort of the, the, the overall view of the industry. We've actually got very specific trends in cybersecurity, um, in collaboration, in the difference sort of in the networking space. So we've actually, there's a lot more details. So I'd encourage the listeners to just go have a quick look there, dimensiondata.com. Thank you. Yeah, well, I know that I'll be checking out all of those reports, so I highly encourage our audience to do the same. Uh, Etienne Renica, Group CTO at Dimension Data, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an awesome conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to My Tech Decisions podcast. Here at Tech Decisions, it's our mission to help you do your job better. If you'd like to learn more, head over to www.mytechdecisions.com or follow us on Twitter at MyTechDecisions. I'm your host, Jonathan Blackwood, Managing Editor of Tech Decisions, and you can find me at Blackwood Tweets. Thank you again for listening, and good luck with all of your installations and implementations.